Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be here with you this morning. We ask your blessing upon this church service, upon everyone either here in person or watching online. Send your spirit to fill our hearts and our minds with your message. We pray this in Jesus' name. back. If you were here with us last week, you saw that we began a sermon series called A Christmas Playlist. And throughout the series, we're going to be going through four different Christmas songs that are well-known and that also happen to have biblical references and significance for our lives today. Last week, we started off with the first Noel, looking at at the angel of the Lord appearing to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, announcing the birth of Jesus. Today, we're going to go back to that same chapter, Luke chapter 2, and to learn a little bit more about Jesus' birth, one that took place away in a manger. See, this is a song that I want you to be thinking about as we talk today. In fact, Luke chapter 2, verse 7 says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. I want you to think for a moment about a time when you had either maybe going to a concert or going somewhere, and there were no room where the tickets were sold out. When I was thinking about that, I thought about a scenario. You know I don't want to bite. All right. So I was thinking about a time when Amy and I were going to, you probably guessed it, a Switchfoot concert. And it was in Florida. And we were driving down to Florida. We left after work, so we didn't quite know where we were going to stop. We are going to Tampa. We knew we weren't going to make it to Tampa after work in one straight trip. So we knew we were going to stop somewhere at a hotel. But we didn't quite know where we were going to stop. We were just going to drive for a while, see when we got tired, and then when we got tired, find a hotel. Well, we made it about to Jacksonville, Florida, getting close to the Florida line, and it was about 1 a.m., and I said, yeah, honey, it's about time. Let's start looking for a hotel. So she pulled her phone out and started to look for hotels, and she was like, they say they're all booked. None of them say they have any rooms. And I said, well, maybe it's because it's like 1 a.m. Maybe they don't rent rooms after 1 a.m. So I get off the interstate at an exit, and I go up to a hotel, and I walk in, and sure enough, there's no rooms. Went to a, the next hotel at the same exit, no rooms. Went to a third hotel at that same exit, no rooms. And finally, this hotel told me why there were no rooms. See, it was March. Jacksonville, Florida happened to be hosting part of the NCAA basketball tournament, and every hotel was booked. Everyone was there for the NCAA tournament, and they said, you're going to have to drive for a while before you can find a hotel. So when I walked out of that hotel, I was frustrated. There were no rooms available. 
We ended up having to drive almost all the way down to Orlando from Jacksonville, which is about another hour and a half. I was pretty tired before we finally found a hotel with a room. See, I imagine that must have been kind of how Mary felt. Finding herself giving birth to the Savior of the world. The Bible tells us that there was no lodging available for them. So Jesus was born where? Away in a manger. Probably sounds a bit odd for the Son of God entering his own world. But today, I want to help you understand just a little bit more about the significance behind the manger and this birth scene. Because here is what we have to understand. The manger points to someone unique. To understand the significance of the manger as unique, we have to revisit the passage we looked at last week. Do you remember what the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds about Jesus? I don't have enough hands for all these things. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. The angel said that the baby will be recognized by two things, strips of cloth and a manger. Now, what we know about births happening at this time in this geographical region is that most babies were wrapped in swaddling cloth or strips of cloth, as the Bible tells us. So that was not unusual. However, we never find another child born in a manger. That was unique. It was odd. It was out of place. You see, a manger, it's something dirty. It's never intended to be the bed for a child. It was a feeding trough for animals. But yet, this was the first place that the Son of God laid his head here on the earth. But why? Couldn't God, in all of his power, couldn't he have planned for some other place of residence for to be the first place that Jesus would arrive? Couldn't the Savior of mankind have a more hospitable place to breathe his first breath? The answer lies in this phrase. There is no one like Jesus. Maybe this is a phrase you've heard in a song or maybe it's something you've said in a prayer or have a conversation with a friend. Either way, we as Christians believe that it is indeed True, there's no one like Jesus. The angels saw fit to give the cloth and the manger to the shepherds as a sign. Never in human history has a king of any kind been born in a manger. Therefore, we have no other option but to believe that Jesus Christ is one like none other. He truly is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And the evidence of that is even found in the most unlikely of places, a food trough called a manger. See, the significance of this scene does not just have repercussions for the current situation when Jesus was born. In addition, I would argue to you that the manger points toward a scene to come later in the life of Jesus. One that would prove to be of the utmost importance, the cross. And to better understand the dynamic between the manger and the cross, we can look at something profound that Paul wrote about Jesus in the book of Philippians. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, it seems that Christ not only took the position of a slave or servant, but in the case of the manger, even less than a slave or a servant. God, who is all-powerful, creator of heaven and earth not only decided to enter this broken world full of broken people just like you and me he also decided to take it a step further and to do so in the humblest way possible maybe you remember the scene later in the gospel accounts when jesus rides into jerusalem on a donkey's colt Rather than being the center of a massive entourage, Jesus takes the way of humility, which is also the way that he desires that we seek to live our lives in humility. Maybe you've heard it said of someone before that so-and-so came from humble beginnings, meaning that they didn't have much growing up. In the case of Jesus, he had everything possible at his command. However, he laid it all aside to take up a humble position at his birth. See, that, that story reminds me of one of our cats. Actually, one of our former cats. He's passed away now, but his name was McCarty. Named after a hockey player, of course. That's what all the cats are supposed to be named after. And McCarty was a feral cat. Amy and I had just gotten married. We were living in an apartment complex on the third floor. And he was a feral cat living out in the woods. And we started to put some food and some water out for him. And he began to become friendly and would let us pet him every once in a while. And, and then we got brave enough to put the food and water outside the door of our third uh, floor apartment. And he would come up the uh, three flights of stairs to eat the food and the water. Even so much that one morning he brought, he carried a little bunny rabbit up three flights of stairs and he thought it was going to be the best surprise ever until Amy opened the door and screamed bloody murder and slammed the door back in his face. 
See, when Amy and I decided to move out of that apartment and we were getting a house, we didn't want to leave McCarty there. So we decided that he was going to become an inside cat. Now, we had two other cats at the time, and we were concerned. How would he get along with the other cats? I mean, he's a feral male cat. It could be an all-out cat war inside of our house. But we brought him in, and it was the most amazing thing possible. He walked up to each of our cats, and as soon as he got to them, he bowed his head. A sign of humility. He's the most humble cat that we had ever had. Never got in a fight with anybody. Was always subservient to everyone else. And it makes me think how much humility is so much more attractive than pride or ego or strength. See, this humble beginning for Jesus in the manger leads to another humble position on the cross. Rather than resisting arrest, rather than fighting the trial leading to his crucifixion, Christ chooses the Father's way, the Father's will for his life, one that included another humble position on that cross. See, we've talked a lot today so far about humility. We've also referred to the fact that God would choose the most unlikely of people, the most unlikely of places, to include in his purposes. That manger scene includes several different people but none more perhaps significant than those who first received the message of Jesus' birth the shepherds we certainly could have understood if God had decided to reveal Jesus' birth to kings and leaders in that area it would have made sense instead God shows us once again his upside-down kingdom by choosing to reveal Jesus' birth to simple shepherds. These men were nowhere near the top of the social structure. They were tasked with watching over sheep. Sure, they were a key part of life back in this time and culture, but they were, it was not a celebrated vocation by any stretch of the imagination. Sheep provided wool and clothing and were even offered at the temple for sacrifices. Shepherds were often not even owning, they didn't even own their own property. Traveling from place to place, living in tents, they were nomads. Simple people with straightforward jobs. And yet, these were the people that for some reason God chose to make the very first evangelists of the message of Jesus' birth. We read that in Luke chapter 2, 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Upon seeing Jesus, they simply could not keep this profound news to themselves. Maybe it reminds you of another story later in the gospel accounts when we read in Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, 
Very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, and, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back for the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. See, I believe that the shepherds are in a sense meant to foreshadow the disciples whom Jesus would call to follow him and to take his message to the very ends of the world. These were ordinary people with ordinary stories whom God used in extraordinary ways. And today, today I firmly believe that this can be our story as well. Maybe you've been questioning whether God can use someone like you. Someone with your level of brokenness. Someone with your list of sins in the past or even present. Or use you and use you for amazing purposes. And the answer is quite simply, yes, he can. It reminds me of a time years ago before this church was ever planted when I was still a member over at the Kernersville Church. I was on the nominating committee one year. You know, that position everyone wants to be on. And I was on the nominating committee, and at the time I was an elder, I was teaching adult Sabbath school class, and everything was, I was happy. And on that nominating committee, we came to the position of young adult Sabbath school teacher. I had no desire in that position. But no one else stood up. No one had any suggestions. There was no one willing to teach the young adults. So I said, fine. I don't want to, but I'll do it. That first Sabbath after being called, elected to be the young adult Sabbath school teacher, I walked into that room having no idea what I was going to get myself into, and lo and behold, not a single person showed up. I sat there by myself the entire time. Somebody actually stopped by and said, doesn't look like anyone's coming today. You want to come over to the class next door? And I said, no. I would be in that room if anyone showed up or if no one showed up because I didn't want a young adult to show up and have no one else there. So I stayed there. Eventually, some people started showing up. Now, it may have been about the same time I started bringing donuts. I don't know whether it was the donuts or me. Probably the donuts. 
and, and eventually that class grew. That class grew, that, that led to a little bit of a fire in my heart to reaching young adults, which ultimately helped to plant this church. See, when was a time that you were willing to say yes to following Jesus? See, when we give God our yes, He's going to call us out of our comfort zone. I was comfortable talking to adults. I was comfortable in my role. I wasn't comfortable leading young adults. But when I said yes, he called me out of my comfort zone. He only asked that we seek to be obedient to him in the process. He is the one who will guide us convict us, refine us, and lead us on the path of everlasting life. See, maybe today, maybe today this needs to be the prayer that you pray. It's, it's not really a prayer, but I think if you read it that way from Psalm 139, it is in fact a prayer. Maybe you need to pray it today. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love the parts of that. Search me, O Lord. Test me. See if there's anything offensive inside of my heart and then lead me to everlasting life. I want to end today doing something a little bit different. If the, the praise team can start making their way up. But I want to invite you. We're going to have just a moment of self-reflection here in a moment where I'm just going to stand up here. We're all going to be a little bit quiet. And I, but I want you to reflect where are you in your relationship with Jesus at this very moment? Where are you at? Do you need to accept a call from Jesus upon your life? Whether that's to follow him for the very first time or to rededicate your life or to step forward into an area where there is some need. Do you need to accept a call upon your life? And as we stand here and sit here quietly for a moment. I want you to listen for the Holy Spirit's voice. Just take a moment and reflect on that. Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself on our behalf. You did something that no one else could have done. You are truly unique and a divine king. As we look to the humble beginnings of your life, 
Help us. Help us to remember how you alone are positioned to be the Savior of all of mankind. Help us to get out of our comfort zones and to say yes to the call that you have put on our lives. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us from the penalty of sin. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.